So really my whole approach is looking at how we can refine the way in which we show up in the face of any behavior our child might throw our way. We have to be able to self-regulate and control ourselves so we don't operate and parent from reactivity and fear. Hey there, and welcome to the Healthy Vibes podcast. Today, I interview Louise Clark, and this interview is filled with so much wisdom and goodness. She is a parenting expert. She has experience in mindfulness, self-care, and so much of a journey in parenthood with her three now teenage children. So thank you for being here and enjoy. Let's get started. Here we go. All right, Louise. I appreciate you being here today. Um, And thank you for being on the podcast with me today. I know that my listeners are going to get so much good information from you with your background, which I I can't wait for you to tell me more about your um, background in parenting, the courses, the certifications you've taken. You have just such a wealth of knowledge in parenting, mindfulness, meditation. I could go on, but I just want to thank you for being here and let you start by telling me a little bit about your background. Oh, Kelly, well, thank you very much for having me on your show. It's always a pleasure. And I love talking with anyone about parenting. And, you know, people often ask me, how did I get into it? And I kind of stumbled into it when my eldest was four, which is 15 years ago, and became part of a parenting group myself, which is still going on. Um, So, you know, a short way into that, the counsellor that was coaching us recommended I did this. So to cut a long story short, I took the various certifications and qualifications and things I needed to do to set myself up as a parent coach and mindfulness coach. And so now that is what I do. I work with parents one-on-one. I um, I have my podcast, Parenting in the Thick of It, where there's 427 episodes now on everything wow. parenting and everything in between. And I have a um, a blog with a lot of uh, blog posts on it. And I also have written a book called Parenting the Modern Teen because I do have, I, I, you know, I love parenting all kids and everything about parenting, but teens really float my boat. <laughs> I love the teenage years. And uh, so I, I, I decided to write a book, an ebook on that, which I've sold thousands and thousands of those and have many courses. So I really have found my purpose found my passion and I'm so fortunate because my all of it plays to me in my role as a mom with my three teenagers who are 15 17 and 19 my work holds me accountable every time I give to parents and support them you know in a in a funny way it's giving and supporting myself and keeping me in the game because just because I do what I do doesn't get me off anything scot-free because I'm a mom, just like everyone listening. And my kids are kids, just like other kids. So they'll do things that'll trigger me. I'll do things that'll trigger them. And so really my whole approach is looking at how we can refine the way in which we show up in the face of any behavior our child might throw our way. We have to be able to self-regulate and control ourselves So we don't operate and parent from reactivity and fear. Because when we do that, we render ourselves completely redundant. We lose our shit all all the time. And it doesn't serve to keep us connected with our kids. And when we lose the connection, we lose the capacity to lead, guide, and influence them in their lives. And we will actually prevent them from developing the life skills and core competencies that 
that we want them to have. And um, so the whole thing really does come back to us and how we control ourselves. And we need to shine that spotlight of attention on us rather than looking always at the kid. What have you done wrong? What should you have done? You ought to have done that. Why didn't you do that? Look at us and say, hmm, what part have we played in this? And how can I turn it around? How can I bring about a change in their behavior through bringing about a change in mine? So that's really it in a nutshell. Wow. Just just that nutshell to me is worth the entire time that I'm going to spend with you because I resonate with every bit of what you said right there. And I think that I first of all hear your passion come from what you do. And I can tell you're doing exactly what you should be doing. And I think that's what drew me to you when I started reading your book and listening to your podcast. I related to it so well. And you know, the work that I do helping moms, you take that the next step further, because so many of my friends and listeners, it's that reactivity, that's it's the reactions that that throw us off in parenting. Mm -hmm. So I I can't wait to hear more about that. But so you have a 15, 17 and 19 year old. And are those boys or girls? Uh, A 15 year old boy, 17 year old girl and 19 year old boy. Okay. So you have you have both and a little bit a little bit of each and I would guess all of their personalities are different would they or completely, completely. different. Yeah, you know, my husband and I look at each other and go how is it possible for two of the same genetic codes to produce three vastly different little people. But you know every child's unique, every parent's unique, every person on this planet is unique. And you know it brings up a very good point Kelly because we often when we're parenting we parent them all the same. And we, in doing that, we lose sight of their uniqueness. Yes. And, you know, if you just take, let's take homework, for example, uh, because I know it's something people are struggling with right now. We're recording this during COVID and people struggle with it, COVID or no COVID. But now, and I mean, you're uh, the guru of homeschooling, so you'll understand this and it will probably resonate with you. But, you know, for example, if we take homework and I share how I would interact with homework and my kids and the three of them and how different they are, I cannot possibly parent them the same way in terms of motivating them and inspiring them to do their work. My youngest is slightly more anxious. So if I was to say to him, come on, you've got to get your homework done. You haven't done it. You're late. It was supposed to be handed in whenever. It would trigger more anxiety in him. And he would not do well with that kind of uh, response from me. Whereas I'm not saying that's the right quote unquote response and way to be, but I could actually deliver in that way to my eldest son. If I went, what are you doing? Come on, you got to get on with this. You're late. You're going to miss it. He would go, yeah, okay, no problem, mom. And he, you know, he just is easygoing. He might not do it, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't, it wouldn't bother him. If I was to say that to my daughter, middle one, she would be like, really? You can't make me do anything. So so the way they, they respond to it, very different. So how do I give the three of them help? So if I gave the youngest one would take too much help, okay, because he doesn't trust himself to do it. My eldest would probably take enough. He would be able to gauge what, do, what help do I need? How, what can I do? And how can you help me? And he'd strike more of a balance. My middle doesn't want any help. So if I try and force my help on my middle, war, 
not going anywhere. If I try and help my youngest, he's inclined to take too much help because he doesn't feel capable. And if I did too much, I'd render him completely useless. And the eldest would is, is, is more able to balance. Now, is that because he's balanced? I because he's older? I don't know. But can you see if I was to just parent all three of them around homework the same way, it wouldn't work. Oh, no. And you're right. As, as a homeschool mom, I know these things. And I only have two kids. But you're right. For, for all kids. And mm-hmm. I love the, the looking at them in unique in who they are. Because for so much in life, I feel like that's where I feel like our world, I struggle because of that. It's so easy to try mm-hmm. and put them in a spot. And and honestly, you're, um, you're in the thick of it, organizer in July, when you talk about expectations. It makes me think of that when we're talking about, you know, who they are and what we're expecting of them. And yeah. I loved your approach and so many things that, that you say in there. And, and honestly, when you talk about those three approaches to them, it makes me think of what we talked about in the beginning about how we react and our, our, you know, being emotional and taking things too personal. And totally, I find this from so many people I know and myself personally, but you, you talk about our energy zapping culprits and the little things that suck our energy. And it's, it's so true when you look Mm -hmm. at it that way, as it does that throughout the day or morning or whatever. And then all of a sudden you, you react and, and what kind of, advice I guess would you give or what suggestions would you have for moms in terms of figuring out those energy zapping culprits so that you're not reacting or building up to that point I guess oh yeah I mean that's a that's a big one yeah it's huge it's kind of where do I start um I you know in terms of how much we have in our tanks, what is our bandwidth, have we enough bandwidth to deal with this right now? These are all questions we have to ask right. ourselves in an in an ongoing way, you know, to be in tune with where am I at? How much have I got in my tank here? Is there enough in my tank to deal with this in a in a constructive way? Or have I got so little in my tank that no matter what happens, I'm going to lose lose my my marbles with my kids here we have to really be all over that and then we also have to continually I call it the radar the um, reactivity radar detector we have to have a reactivity radar detector sweeping us all the time and looking for an increase in reactivity you know so feeling you can think about how do you feel like if you before you get reactive how do you feel? What happens? You know, do you do you hear yourself raise your voice? Do you feel butterflies in your stomach? Does your heart race? Do you just get so frustrated you want to like you're you're going to blow a gasket? You have to recognize the feelings first, and but actually, if you can even go a stage before that and recognize the thought that is driving the feelings that will drive the actions, if we can intervene at the thought level then we're really gold because thoughts create the feelings and the feelings create the action. So we, if we, if we are unaware of the thought, okay, we can still, we're okay. If we're unaware of the feeling, we're not good. It's not good because then we react. The action is reactive. Whereas if in the moment I'm working with a child on homework and in the moment I'm thinking, oh my God, 
if they don't do this, if they don't do that, they're going to, they don't get this. And I am thinking these thoughts, which are, it's going to instill fear in me. I'm going to act in fear. If I recognize that thought and go, okay, you're thinking, thinking your thoughts aren't true. Your thinking is taking you out of this moment right now with the child and you're trying to help them with their homework. You're going to contaminate this moment and not be able to help them if you're not cognizant of what you're thinking and that you're perhaps going into fear and then it's going to cause you to react. So in terms of being able to tame our reactivity, we need to have tremendous awareness for our minds. We need to mind our minds and we need to know when the story is playing in our head. You know, when you're a teenager, they're not going to do it now, but let's just say pre-COVID, they're late again. They've said they'll be home at 10.30 and now it's quarter to 11. And already the story's running in your, your head. Oh my goodness, he never comes home on time. He never listens to us. He's just so disrespectful. That's it. He's grounded. You've got the story running and then he run, he comes in the door and he's going, sorry, mom, sorry, I'm really late. You don't even hear him. Because you're already in your story, you're reactive, and you're in your fight, flight, or freeze. You're in your limbic brain where you can't think straight because you actually now you're just going to fight. And you dump it on him, and you don't even know what happened. You don't even know his side of the, the story. And yes, he may have done it 20 times, but this next time might have been totally unavoidable for him. But you haven't heard him because you've been reactive. So we have to watch that story that's playing in our heads. I think that's the first place. And if you can't watch that, you have to really be attuned to how you're feeling. So when you're sitting there and it's 20 to 11, quarter to 11, and he's still not home and 10 to 11, and you're feeling yourself get more and more pissed off, you know, at that point, if he comes in the door, he's down before he's even opened the door mm -hmm. because you're moving into reactivity. So to halt it, you have to go, you have to backtrack and become really good at, at feeling your feelings and knowing where you are and trying to actually even get the precursor to that, which is the thought that drives the feeling. That is so, that is, I can relate to that and not, I mean, no, he's not coming home in a car yet, but I could go through so many other different stories and relate mm -hmm. to exactly what you said. And there's so many different ways I could go from this with you, but I do know, and you said awareness, right? When I was thinking about it, because I know in so much of your um, information, I've crossed that part of you talking about our awareness as well, which I, I it's even, it's in your book. I listened in one of your podcasts just being aware, which is so big, but it goes to, and I want to go to another one where you talked about um, the pausing. And mm -hmm. I think, again, there's so many ways we can, and it's such, and that's why your coaching is so valuable and all that you do is so valuable, your courses, but the pausing um, and being more patient rather than pushing, I guess is what I'm thinking about. Cause mm -hmm. both of those being aware um, and finding how we don't create that story. Um, and I, I, I'm not sure where to go with this. Where would you say next to talk about becoming more aware or mindful? Yeah, how we can, we can talk, that? we can talk about both. And I think it is, it's a key piece and I'm glad you brought it up. And, you know, I can certainly attribute my raised awareness to uh, Dr. Shafali Sabari, who is Oprah's favorite her. 
parenting, she's Oprah's favorite parenting expert, and she is amazing. And I've done, a, I've done all her courses. I've worked with her for years. And I remember asking her on a course, okay, so if awareness is so key, how do you become aware? And she looked at me and smiled. She went, by being aware. And I'm like, no, no, no. You've got... She went, by being aware, by being aware. You can only be aware by being aware. And she also goes on to say, she says, ignorance is bliss. And awareness is a bitch because once you're aware, you can't be unaware. Mm -hmm. And when you're aware, you wake up to a whole load of things that are like, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize because we were asleep. We were unconscious. We were unaware. So once you actually develop some awareness through being aware, and there is a way to strengthen your awareness, um, but once you develop it, there's no going back. But trust me, once you have it, the path forward is infinitely better, more connected, more meaningful, more mindful, and you get more energy. You were talking about energy earlier and how do you not lose energy? This is how you don't lose energy. Because when you're unaware of all that's going on and your part to play in it, you don't realize how zapping that is of energy. It's like giving a bleeding patient, a blood transfusion, it goes in and straight out. And when we are unaware, it doesn't matter what we do. We can go for the manicure, go for the pedicure, go for our walk, connect with nature, do our yoga, do your yoga, uh, do your journal. It will come in. But if you're not aware of where your drains are, it's all going to go out. So if you're not good with your boundaries, not good with the limits, if every time your kid pushes back, you lose your your ship with them, you're going to drain yourself of energy. So the awareness piece is huge. And you can, there's, you know, we strengthen our awareness through becoming more aware. And how do we become more aware? That's where meditation comes in. Because, you know, there's all ways of uh, uh, describing meditation. What is it? How do you do it? Why do you do it? Where do you do it? And people are like, well, I, they're actually... People don't know what it is and why you do it. And in the simplest terms, meditation is like taking your awareness to the gym for a strength workout. Because in a meditative practice, and it doesn't matter whether you're on a TM meditation, on your breath, in a walk, eating, in that practice, you are able to be fully in the moment and if certainly if you're meditating on your breath and you've got your eyes closed in, a, in what we would call a more typical meditation posture, you're taking out your, your visual field, which means your, your brain's not picking up on what you're seeing because what you're seeing might create thoughts. So the meditation practice allows you to watch your mind. And when you watch your mind, you become aware of how often your mind thinks. And it thinks 60 to 80,000 thoughts per day. But we're unaware of most of them. But when you become more aware, you become more aware of your thoughts. So in a meditation practice, you're really going within to the stillness, to the essence, to the, the, your core, and sitting in that space, and you're watching what happens. And when you first start, you, you, you start realizing how active your mind is, that it's like a puppy that won't sit still. It needs to be trained. And the meditation process trains 
you to sit in the stillness and simply watch your thoughts, observe them, witness them without attaching to them. I'm not saying in meditation you try and stop your thoughts. That's not the goal. The goal is to raise awareness of your mind so you know your mind's going to think. You can't stop your mind thinking. It's a thinking machine. But you can actively and intentionally decide to not go with the thought and come back to your breath to enter this, this stillness. So you can see now that you're creating a space where you can observe with no judgment and train your mind to be in the present moment, on your breath, nowhere else, just here. And the thoughts come and go, but you don't attach. It's like watching clouds moving on the sky, but you're still focused on the blue. You don't see the cloud. But when you go to the cloud, you get taken away from the blue. So it's a similar thing. So, you know, raising our awareness is huge. And that's why in my life, you know, for the last, it must be six years now. I keep saying five because, but then it's years since I've said that. I've been meditating twice a day, morning and evening. And I have noticed with that all the benefits that you can Google, you know, Google the benefits of meditation. I experienced them all. But the biggest one for me is being able to watch my reactivity in the moment with my kids. Because we train in meditation. I'm training. And you, we're hoping that that awareness then spills into moments where you're not actually meditating. But you're in the moment. I'm aware oh my God, my mind has gone on a complete journey here all around the fact my teenager just was rude to me. And now I'm aware in the moment, in real time, that my thoughts have gone. I've attached to my thoughts and I'm going down the fear path, which will force me to feel a certain way and act a certain way. So the awareness piece is huge. And the meditation is the is the key to unlocking it and strengthening it, I believe. And that's so powerful. I would agree with you. And I like the way you described it because um, I think sometimes people see the word meditation, they almost like shy away from or. Yeah, I well, they, they think, think hippies, like, brown bread and leather sandals, you know, right. sitting on a mat somewhere, you know, and it's not possible, you know, that, that that's great. But that's not what we're talking about here. And, you know, there's a big difference between the meditation and the mindfulness. And mindfulness is a buzzword as well. People are like, oh, I'm being mindful. You can't be mindful without awareness. Because being mindful is being open to the present moment as it unfolds. Each moment, new moment, new moment. Being open to it with no judgment, with curiosity and with kindness. So that you watch this moment unfold and you're a witness to the moment without your judgment, which comes from the thought. So if you're unaware, it's very hard to be mindful because you're not aware of the fact you're not in the moment. And for 50% of our waking hours, we are not, our minds are not where we are. In other words, we're here but our minds are elsewhere. That's why we can drive to a place and have no clue how we got there. Exactly. And I believe in this, this world, I think I'm always telling people, because I think all of what you're saying is, is so good. But when I, when you catch a mom, like, you know, some of them, some of them, I can't get them just to slow down and just to 
to have even a few minutes just to listen or try to have quiet time. Or mm-hmm. I find with some moms, I have to say, listen, your your goal this week is just to find five or ten minutes where you're not doing anything else. Mm-hmm. It's it's like the it, it is so hard for them just to slow down in this world and just stop for a minute or yeah. pause. Even and has COVID and has COVID ever been a gift to us to give us that? And, and that's so many people are so deeply uncomfortable. And I'm not I'm not I'm not taking away from the gravity of the situation that the world's found themselves in or found ourselves in. However, if we look at what it's done to us, it's actually given us the opportunity to slow down, to really take a good look at what is our life, what is the purpose here. I've been running around like a chicken with its head cut off and being unaware of it and now I'm not it's uncomfortable for people I know right I'm not talking about the the fear of it but just this the being forced to slow down is so foreign to so So many people today because we run around in this fast-paced digital ever-changing busy scheduled over-programmed life that we've become used to and they're like I can't wait till it goes back to normal I don't want it to go back to normal what was normal anyway was normal really what you want because most people are saying I'm just so busy I gotta slow down but I just can't I've got to take this one here and that one there but they're not making the change they're not doing anything to slow themselves down and I kept saying to myself something's going to happen that's going to slow us down and we won't like it Mm -hmm. I completely agree with you I I completely agree with you and I think you have to find and that's where I said with a lot of people that you know we're so frustrated it's just the acceptance of here's where we are so what can we what can you find that's good in this and Mm -hmm. I agree I'm not minimizing what's going on but I do believe there's possibility to slow down and find you know, what was just passing us by. Absolutely. I mean, it was passing us by and, and just being aware, like you said, and mindful of the moments. I do believe, and I've learned over the last few years, I would say it's, it is, a, it's like, like a practice. And I think you said it somewhere, just strengthening, you know, strengthening that mindfulness, strengthening that being aware. It's, mm-hmm. It takes time and practice. And when you say you meditate twice a day, um, I'm just curious, how long do you meditate for? And, and do you have a certain um, program or what, you know, something that you you use? I, I don't, but I did. When I first started, I did have, you know, I would use guided meditations because I think it's very start, hard to start. I don't think it's, it's impossible, but it's quite hard to start. And I was actually really good with myself about not um trying to sit for too long it when I was when I was a, a novice to it you know because a minute seems like a long time when you've never done it before right. and so what I do now is quite different to what I did then but I would the advice I would give to people is to start gradually you know I I, I don't advise that people say okay I'm going to start meditating never done it before I'm going to sit for 15 minutes every morning oh, or every right. night there's a few people that could do that, but more often than not, we're not that great at holding um, onto things. Like we'll start strong and day one, great, two, great, three, day four, great. And then we start falling off the wagon. So I recommend that people find a time in their day that they could add two or three minutes to 
something they do anyway every day. So I always say brushing your teeth. So when you brush your teeth, just know it's actually going to take you five minutes for a month. It's going to take you five minutes to brush your teeth for a month. You're going to brush your teeth for two minutes. Most of the electric toothbrushes have a timer. But you're going to put the toothbrush down and you're going to sit on the side of the bath or sit in the toilet seat and meditate for three minutes. And you can have your phone. You can find a little um, timer or, or a bell or something. You could do the guided one for three minutes, but that's how I would start. Um, so you're you're attaching it to something you do religiously anyway. Then you're going to give yourself half a chance of actually continuing this. And then when you start developing that practice, it takes 21 days to um, for something to become habit. Even then, it's very easy to fall off the wagon. Mm-hmm. Is to just add on to it. Find the, the the meditations you enjoy. Find the ones where you can sit um, still for longer periods of time. You'll find something that you flow with naturally, and then it will be it will become. You let it become your own practice. So, I now you said how long do I meditate for? I I don't fight it. Sometimes I'll meditate and I'm done in five minutes because I just my mind was too active I couldn't slow it down and I'm absolutely fine with it I don't beat myself up and go well I'm hopeless I'm never doing this again because I couldn't quiet my mind I just go no you know what my mind's so active right now it's it's winning so I'm I'm not going to go too long today other times I come out my practice and it's 30 minutes 40 minutes but I would say regularly it's 15 to 20 and I do it, I do it when I wake up because I wake up every morning and I make sure I actually usually wake up before my alarm, but I have my alarm set with about a half hour buffer before I need to or have to do anything. And then when I go to bed at night, I do the same thing. I get into bed, but I, I do not meditate to fall asleep. I meditate to increase my awareness. And I do it as I get into bed, just as a practice. And then I might read, read my book. One of my kids might come in. One of, you know, my husband will come to bed. But that's my routine. But it's not meditate, light out, or lights out, meditate. It's into bed, s- sit there, and do my practice. And sometimes, you know, pre-COVID, I'd be out in the car waiting to pick the kids up from something. And I would often go and pick up my phone and go, nope, I'm going to put my phone down. I'm going to meditate. And I meditate on my breath. I only need my breath. It doesn't matter where I am. I always have my breath. As long as I'm alive in this world, I have my breath. So I can meditate in the car, in my bed, at my desk, in the garden, on a beach, on a mountain. And that's the, that's why I like using my breath. I don't need a special cushion, pillow, feather, incense, candle, nothing. There's no quiet corner. I find if I if I was to do that... I wouldn't go to it right? because I'd be like, oh, I've got to go and do it. So find a place where you can do it. So one day you might do it at your desk. One day it might be in the car. But when you're starting, make it the same place every day, sitting on the, to- sitting on the toilet after you've brushed your teeth, sitting on the side of the bath, sitting on the bath mat, brush your teeth, go sit on a chair in your bedroom, go sit. I'm saying bedroom, bathroom, because you're usually on your own. You go into the family room, the kids might be up, someone might be up earlier, it's going to distract you. And start that way and start small and 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 take it from there. 
I like that. I, I'm a big promoter of everything starting small because I think the simpler, the smaller, the easier it is to just start if you can just get people to start. And I like mm-hmm. that in our conversation of, you know, how to be better with our kids, you've, we've circled a little bit back. We've circled back to being, you know, more aware and really self-care and taking care of yourself and taking time for yourself, which I'm, I'm guessing is that, would you say that's the, one of the most important parts of your self-care is the meditating? Uh, Hands down, hands Hands down. down. Absolutely. It is the pillar of my self-care and it's the one thing that that allows me to show up less reactive and in control of myself so I don't lose my shit in the face of whatever they do because whatever they do will change you don't know what it might be you might be stuck in one particular pattern a fight with over the same thing all the time with a child but so you might get that sorted out but there'll be something else that will show its face whereas with the meditation it's just it's working on you to tame your reactivity to take you into that quiet space so you can you, so you can find your pause, practice your pause, know what your pause is in the moment so that you can in the moment go, I just need a minute here. I'm right. watching myself get reactive, just need a minute. So the meditation helps that. Um, other self-care things that I do, nature's huge for me. Um, it, it really is. It's enormous. I'm not a journaler, although it is that is a very, very popular way to um, for self-care with many people. One of the other biggest things that I say for my self-care, and it's one that not many people think about, is being good with saying no. And as mums, you know, you might be listening thinking, what does she mean saying no? That's a bit selfish. She says no all the time. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying there are certain things as mums we continue to say yes to when we know we should be saying no to. And if you want to zap yourself of energy, it's that. When you're going, no, no, no. Yes, okay, just this one time. Energy, whoosh, gone. Because you've you've let go of your boundary. You've not protected what you value. You started out by saying no, but you've relinquished and said yes. It's not a good place to find ourselves as mums. We find ourselves feeling walked over, disrespected, not heard, doormat. So being being kind with your no to yourself and being kind with your no to others. You know, when someone says to you, oh, do you mind baking a cake for the cake sale this week? And you're like, yes, sure. And then you're thinking, why did I say yes? I've got a birthday. I've got my mum's birthday. I'm baking that cake. I've got something else where I'm doing this. And all you're going to do is run yourself into the ground for the sake of saying, I'm really sorry, I can't bake a cake for your cake sale. Right. Because there'll be other times when you can. But if we keep saying yes to things that are really not a top priority for us, now the bake sale might be, I'm not knocking the bake sale, but I'm just, you you know what I'm saying here. We do, do. we say yes to things that we should be saying no to. And we say no to things we should be saying yes to. You know, we pick the wrong battles at home. Sometimes we say no and think, oh God, why did I say that? Would it have been far easier to just say, yes, sure, go do it and deal with it. Absolutely. that's a really, that's a big part of self-care for me. Boundaries are huge in your self-care practice. And I couldn't agree with you more. And I would say exactly what you just explained. I think it's extremely uncomfortable for mothers to start the process of saying no to things. But I mm-hmm. always tell people, start with something small, start with one thing. And I think just like 
just like the awareness we talked about or anything else, it's a practice. You start strengthening your ability to say no. Mm-hmm. And I think you it gets easier and you get better at it. And then you For realize sure. what you're opening up because you have to you have to take care of those things. So then Absolutely. And, and that helps as well with your reactivity. Yeah. And the I other love- big one, sorry, I just thought of no, I, I mean absolutely. just thought of one. It's 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 not that I just thought about it, but um is not taking your children's behavior personally. That is huge for self-care because when we take our children's behavior personally, we absolutely render ourselves incapable of responding. When we take it personally, we have to react because we then have to defend. And that drains us of our energy and not taking their behavior personally and with mums with toddlers might be going, well, why am I take? I would don't take it personally. Trust me, you just need to have a teenager in the house, and you learn pretty quickly if you take what they say and do personally. You yes. are, you are on your back. You're you're on your back. You're down. You're you're shot. Mm-hmm. So you you have to not take it personally, so that you can stay in your wise brain, in your higher order brain, and you're using your prefrontal cortex. And not take yourself into that limbic fight, flight, or freeze. Because when we're there, it's very, very draining of our energy. It takes a lot of energy to fight people, to flee, to to freeze. It drains us of energy. Whereas when we actually can stay in our higher order thinking brain and think about it, we it's not half as exhausting. And it does not mean your kids are getting away with it if you don't enter the argument if you don't take it personally in fact I actually go as far as saying if we take it personally and we dial into the drama your kids are getting away with it because they've started the argument and they're getting away with continuing the argument whereas most people think that the kids are getting away with it if you don't argue but you it takes two to argue and they're wanting to argue they're throwing you the carrot they're dangling that rope they're they're put on their gloves and they're ready to they they need someone to vent and so they say something and we think oh if we don't deal with it and react they're going to get away with it but what we end up doing is we react and enter the argument and they totally get it get away with it because when we're in the argument we can't do anything other than react and this is so common even even when we strengthen our awareness and our mindfulness and all of the things we talked about I still think, like you said, with teenagers especially, because you never know what comes out. <laughs> and you have no idea. And every time, and this is the, and I do know personally when I'm taking better care of myself, when I'm rested, all of these things, I don't take things as personal. Yep. But I'm sure there's moms listening that are still thinking, well, that's easy to say. <laughs> like, what, yeah. you know, is there any just and I was just actually listening to one of your podcasts about this. Um, besides the self-care and the taking care of ourselves and all of those things, is there any just practical tip in that moment to not, you know, let that, you know, just light us up and take it personal? Is there anything, I don't know, that you have you go to? Uh, I Again, it's awareness, Kelly. It's the awareness. You have to be aware that you're actually begin to, beginning to take it personally. So is, is take a pause. You know, every time your teenager says something or does something, she, I'm giving teenagers a bad rap here, but your toddler or no, something. Yes. Some Someone said something to you and you're feeling like put, put out. 
just notice that feeling. Hmm, I'm feeling put out now. My typical pattern is to react to it. How about I take a pause and not react to it and see what happens? Stay curious. Be open. Witness it rather than join it. Observe it. Watch what happens. Because trust me, not a lot can happen. if It takes two people to argue. So if someone's argumentative, there's nothing more annoying when you're feeling like an argument and there's no one to argue with. Right. So your teenager's wanting the argument or your toddler's wanting to push you and control you. You enter it you, and, and you, it goes nowhere. But if you don't enter it, there's no, they're not controlling anybody because they're not controlling you. If you don't argue, you're not entering the argument. So it's, 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 it is the awareness, but, you know, maybe a mantra you can say in your head that entering the drama will fuel the drama. If you Absolutely. don't want drama and you don't want the argument, you don't want the control fight with them, don't enter it. Don't enter it. Don't enter it and, and see what and, happens. And I love that I, I, I almost feel like you have to say it like again and, and say it slowly because I think some people, again, like we said, are, are in their busyness. They're in their whatever, you know, they just to be open. You keep saying that. Be open and be yeah. curious. Yeah. And I think sometimes that can just like pass right by and no one really heard, but being open to something, to trying something else yeah. and being curious to see what happens. Cause I think we're stuck in a, like a hamster wheel. Some of my people I talk to and I'm just like pause and be open to the fact that if you don't react, it will, it could, and it probably will turn out differently. Yeah. And we have to listen. So when you're in that moment and, and you listen to your child, ask yourself, why are they behaving like this? Listen, we spend so much time inter interrupting our kids' rant, mm -hmm. uh, interrupting generally, and we listen to interrupt. And we really are not, I'm generalizing here, but generally we're not that great at listening. And I think yeah. if we actually start to listen to our kids, we listen to them and hear them ranting, hear them being rude and disrespectful and be thinking, here's the openness, I wonder what's going on for them. I've really not provoked this, but yet they're very, they seem, un, they seem rattled, they seem flustered. My toddler seems out of sorts. Yeah, he's done it every day, but what's going on? Why? Why does he feel the need to Always say, I want the orange sippy cup when you give them the blue. To say, no, I don't want ketchup after you've put it on the hot dog. Why is this? And listen uh, rather than react. So if you can think, listen in the moment, not react. Take a pause. Take a breath. If it's really bad, just say, you know what? I'm dying to go to the loo. I'll be back. Just remove yourself. Go to the toilet. Come back. The buffer. You've given yourself a space. Sometimes that that can help. And I love that listening because especially in this time that we're in, you know, and, and I love, I do love the humor that I see and I think humor's good, but I do think sometimes like we haven't really thought what the kids are feeling. Everyone else has been, you know, mm -hmm. life has been, and it is, I'm not, I know it's hard when you come home and you're working from home and all this is going on, but Deep down, these kids, even if they're not saying it, are feeling anxious as well. And you saying, listen, 
it's, it's such a good thing to just stop and say, Hey, you know, how are you feeling today? Is there something else, you know, because I think they feel things and they don't even know how to express them for sure. And I think that chance. Yeah. And I think there's many uh, parents listening who might be thinking, well, this is all well and good. I've got to listen. My teenagers being rude. I've got to not be reactive when they come home late. Uh, Sorry, this sounds very like they're just going to get away with it to me. There are times where you entering the argument is you not entering it is all that's needed. And you just don't take it personally, move on. They don't mean what they say. They've just summings up. They've had a rant. There are definitely times where you have to circle back. So take the teenage boy coming home late at night. The last place you ever want to try and come up with a consequence or or uh, to, to help them learn from their mistake is in the heat of the moment, especially at night when it's late. So say, you know what, you're home. That's great. You're safe. Um, let's talk about it in the morning. So give yourself time to sleep on it. And that, because it's late, it seems obvious. Yeah, I, I totally get that. But that's actually what we need to do every time is give yourself a chance to sleep on it. And I'm not saying you go to bed and have to wait always to the next day, but give yourself a minute to sleep on it during the day. Take, you know, maybe half an hour later, maybe an hour later, if something really has come out of their rant and you what you need to say, listen, you know, we I've calmed down, you've calmed down, you circle back, say, what's going on? This is unacceptable. You know, it's not acceptable to speak to me like this. You know, you so you're opening the dialogue outside of the drama. Everyone's calmed down. So you circle back and then work out, you know, what's going on. And then you can deal with it when uh, they're less triggered. If you haven't, if you haven't got triggered and you've stayed in a in a responsive way, you know, you can support it, support them through theirs. But if anybody's triggered, it will, whatever you say will fall on deaf ears. If you're triggered, you can't say anything that's going to make any sense. It'll be illogical and it will coming from um, fight, flight or fear. So circle back. I'm not saying just let it all go and forget about it and pretend it didn't happen. Intentionally circle back on certain things to make sure your child learns the lesson. There may have to be consequences. You know, I can't, whatever's happened, there might well have to be consequences, not punishments the consequences so they can learn from their mistakes and then in order for that to see through we have to be consistent so every time there's x y happens i like that consequences not punishment i i do like that because i feel like that's how you learn when you feel that there's a consequence to what you did not that i am punishing you for what Mm -hmm. you did Mm -hmm. yeah and for the consequence to be a consequence and not punish um is it a useful thing to think about is because i mean this actually is another podcast in itself but right. just very quickly um the consequence needs to be think about all the letters the letter r the consequence needs to be related and relevant to whatever happened in other words you came home late um you came home half an hour late next time you go out you have to come home half an hour early so that is related, relevant. It's totally reasonable. A, a consequence does not have to be so, so severe at all. It just needs to be reasonable and logical to them. Relevant, related, reasonable, reliable. It's easy to do. 
you can make sure they're home half an hour early, even if it means you pick them up. And it, and it has to be respectful, done respectfully. Collaborate when you're coming up with them. Ask your kids, ask the teenager, what do you think the next morning? What do you think should happen, Jack? You came home half an hour late. You were half an hour late home the other night. What are we going to do here? Ask them. See what they say. Like oh, that. mom, I think, and they're usually very tough on themselves. Oh, mom, I think I should be grounded. Personally, I'm not a fan of grounding because I think it, you know, how long do you ground for? Is there a, is there a recipe book for grounding that says if they are home late 15 minutes, the grounding is Y, X. If it's half an hour, the grounding changes to Y. And is there anything that says if you ground them for a week, it means they'll never do it again. Right. There's right. nothing that's to, that, that proves that. So make it reasonable, make it reliable, relevant, respectful, and you're going to help them learn from the mistake and they will feel, you know what, it's totally reasonable, makes sense. Whereas, you know, you, you're home half an hour late, you're grounded for a month. That makes no sense to a teenager. They're going to be pissed off, re, re, resentful. They will probably lie and say they're going to go to someone's for a sleepover because there's a party and they know they can't go because they're grounded from parties. Right. Um, you know, so we have to be really careful that our behaviors and our reactions and our what we dish out in the moment, it can backfire on us and it can cause it, it ends up the kids don't learn anything because punishments bypass the lesson. They just instill in kids manipulate them to be manipulative and struggle to tell the truth, because who's going to come clean if you know you're going to be punished and grounded if you make a mistake? Whereas a kid that actually can still go to the next party but has to come home early, they're pissed off. They don't want to leave the party, but they have a choice. You can go for two hours rather than three. That's totally reasonable. Why should they not go at all just because they were late? You know, I mean, I'm I'm just opening your, the the listeners' minds to really thinking about what are my consequences for my kids? And do I then say, this is the consequence, but I don't see it through. So it's not reliable. Because if there's no consistency, it falls falls flat. Which is true. And, and, I, and I feel like I could go back to your book on some of that too. But I know that I have, I have taken so much of your time. And before I... I end this because your book talks about the consistency and the, um, the boundaries and, 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 and that was such a big thing I got from your book that I wasn't staying consistent and I could see where it was coming. It was, it was becoming worse of a problem because of what I was not doing. Mm -hmm. And so, um, your book, first of all, um, can you tell us the title? Cause I want to talk real quick before we wrap it up. I want you to tell us about the, your book. Um, a little bit about your podcast um, and some of your courses, just really quick. Okay. Know, what is the title of your so book and what is my it book? Cover? Okay. My book is called Parenting the Modern Teen. And it is all based on what I've been discussing here how, what we can do to change the way in which we are showing up, what we can do to tame our reactivity, to raise our awareness so that we can be present and mindful with our kids and help them learn and instill in them the life skills and core competencies we want them to develop, right? So that's really the, 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 the foundation of my book. In the work I do when I'm working with, with parents one-on-one, -on -one, I go deep into the triggers 
and deep into the patterns and the conditionings. Because I truly believe to really turn it round and be able to show up non-reactive, we have to do what I've discussed here on the with you, but we also have to look at the triggers. We have to look at where they are, what they are, because they're always internal. They're never external. And so to not to ignore them is almost band-aiding things. It's two-piece. We have to deal with our triggers and our patterns and why they're there and how we show up with the way we do. And that will influence how we show up and our reactivity. But in the moment, we also have a few have to have a few tools and things to to watch our reactivity and, and be able to tame it in the face of the behavior. So there's almost like prep work and then in the moment work. Um, so I, that's what I really work on. That's why the, the coaching process is so transformational because that. because that is really the basis to change is working on our own triggers. Right. Um, and then my podcast is a bit of everything, toddlers, teens, everything in between on whatever kind of tickles my fancy in the moment. I, I don't, they're, they're, they're raw, they're vulnerable. I don't script them. I don't have notes. I think of a, of a title. I've got two titles written on my, my notebook right now. Um, is, you know, so I'll, I'll, I'll talk to that. One's actually on chores and finances and allowing our kids to make financial mistakes with their savings. I've never talked about that. So that's going to be the next one. But that's as much as I know about it. So I will hit record and start talking. So it's on everything. And they're 10 to 15 minutes. So they don't take a long time to listen to. So they're quick. You can you grab them here and there. Um, and what else did you ask me about? I've Sorry, where they come from? I want to, I just want to say on your podcast, I've so enjoyed them because, because of exactly what you said. There's so many different topics and they're short. They're just, you can listen and you grab just a little bit of a practical tip to go away with or practice yeah. something simple that just they're, they fill you up. I enjoy oh, them. And thank then, you. Um, your courses is the other thing. Cause I was on oh. your website and they all look so good. Um, yeah. So my website's yourparentingpartner.com and everything about me and finding anything, everything I do is is listed along the tabs on the top of my website. My courses, I have a course that you can do with the book, the Modern Teen Accelerator course, which activates the learnings in the book. It takes it just to a slightly deeper level. And then I have three kind of what I call my full-on courses. Tech and Teens is my most popular one because there's not a parent who doesn't struggle with technology in their teens. Um, I have a course called Sex, Drugs, Rap and Roll in Teens because right now the, the teens aren't going out and drinking and vaping and doing drugs. But when they do, it's a challenge as to how you manage that when they come home. So that whole course is on how to stay connected with your teen in the face of those kind of experimental behaviors that they will do that we're you know, scares the living Jesus out of us, but they'll do it, how to manage that. And then the other one is called Conflict to Cooperation, which is all about how to set boundaries, hold limits, and deal with a pushback. And so that that course is actually, it really is pivotal and foundational to being able to parent well. Because if you can't set the boundaries and hold the limits, you're not going to deal with the um, with the tech and if you can't set the boundaries and hold the limits and deal with the pushback you ain't going to deal with a, a hammered or stoned teenager very well or a teenager that wants to go to another party for the fifth night in a row um, so the boundaries and limits are really key so those are my four 
four courses that I have. So much good information. And, and you're right. I find that some of these small things I always say, this is not going to get easier because <laughs> as they get nope. older, the issues are going to get more complex and harder. So I feel like you've covered so many, so many good things with all of your resources. I've loved talking to you and I feel like I could keep talking to you, but I have to, I know that I have to let you stop at some point and get back to your teenagers. <laughs> so yeah, well, actually I've got a, I've got a client in seven minutes, so I, I do oh. need to hop off, but um, yeah, Thank you, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Kelly really has been enjoyable. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing this time with me today. I am grateful you are here. And if you have anyone that you feel could also benefit from this encouragement, please share it with them today. You can also add a quick review on iTunes, which would mean the world to me and help me just to make this better for each and every one of you out there. I will be here each week, so please be sure to subscribe to the podcast or join me at kellyrenato.com to get the latest episode and more tools to help you on your journey to feel your best and enjoy every single day exactly where you are. I would love to have you join my journey and let's all add good, healthy vibes anywhere we can every single day. Enjoy your week and embrace the season you're in. And I look forward to next week. Take care. Bye-bye.